0: Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Scripture lesson this morning comes out of Mark's Gospel, the 8th chapter, verses 27 through 29. Hear with me now the words of the Lord for us this day. So Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, during this hour we gather for worship, We sing your praises, lay our petitions at your feet. We hear your word read and proclaimed throughout the hour. May your words be a light upon our path through life. May your words be the lamp upon which we navigate by. But may we not just read those words, not just hear those words, but go forth and do those words so that all may see and hear and know how bright that path may be. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. There's one thing that I've learned in 20 some years of ministry experience, words, matter. Words matter in our conversations. Words matter in press releases. Words matter in contracts. If you don't believe me, ask a lawyer. Words matter in writing. Just be faced it, our words matter. They provide clarity or they can leave the door open with ambiguity. They can be thoughtful or they can be careless. They can be guttural or they can be arrogant, they can be educated, or we can be putting on airs. Even so, when words matter, sometimes I think it's the simple sentences, the simple sentences that cut through kind of all the fog in life, all the detritus that we find sort of swirling around us, they clear up that murkiness and the turbidity of the world. Those simple sentences sometimes get straight to the heart of the matter. And sometimes those sentences can just be four words, period. No more, no less. And I think you've probably experienced some of those simple but clarifying four words, sentences. Four words that can change our lives. If you don't believe me, I want you to try and experiment with me. I want you to close your eyes. Trust me on this. Just close your eyes, and I'm going to read some four-word sentences. And I want you to think about the range of emotions and how your life may have changed when you heard those four words. So close your eyes and do this with me. You made... The team. Will you marry me? It is a girl, or it is a boy. I got the job. We bought a house. Your relative has passed. You are home. Now, I have a dream. You can open your eyes. Which of those four-word sentences changed your life? Which ones, when you heard them, did it change your life? My guess is that they all did in some way if they were spoken to you. Four words changed the trajectory of who you are and what you're doing. You took on new responsibilities, joys, sorrows, hope, happiness. Four words, four simple words, changed your life. The text that I just read from Mark's Gospel Jesus is entering this crucial period in his ministry. Jesus knows what's coming. No doubt about it. When Jesus went to the mountainside and when he prayed in the wilderness, he knew at that moment what was going to transpire over the next three years of his ministry. So here he's in his is part of his ministry where he knows the future, he knows the suffering, and he needs to make certain that the 12, that the disciples, the one that he has called to follow him, that they know who he is and what's happening, that they know who they're following. I mean, he's sure that they figured out that they're following a teacher of some sort, a miracle worker of some sort, a healer of some sort, maybe even a prophet, but he wants them to zero in on exactly who he is. So he quizzes them. I like the fact that Jesus uses sort of this wisdom of crowds with his disciples that he doesn't single them out necessarily, but he just says, who do you think the people say that I am? And so they're quick to answer well, some say that you know you're John the Baptist, and some say that you're Elijah, and others think that you might be a prophet. And Jesus is not really happy with these answers. So he says, okay, good. And then he looks them all in the eye in that way that only Jesus can. He goes, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now, I can only imagine the disciples because, you know, they're just like us. I mean, they're regular, everyday people just trying to figure it all out. And it's probably like my calculus class at 7.20 in the morning. Where as soon as a teacher asks, who did, the, you know, the problem last night, what did we all do? You know, if you don't make eye contact with a the teacher, they never call on you, right? Is that right, teachers? <laughs> no, it's not right, no. But anyway, he says that. And so, of course, the disciples are looking around. And finally, Peter just kind of busts through, He goes, Well, you're the Messiah. You are the Messiah, he says. And so Peter's confession sort of rips the band aid off of all of it, tears away the veil of secrecy. Now the whole world knows exactly who Jesus is. You are the Messiah. Those four words. In those four words, there is a permanence to Jesus's ministry. There is a superiority to it and there is a salvific quality to what it is that Jesus is about. Peter is speaking to Jesus. He looks him dead in the eye and goes, you, the carpenter of Nazareth, you, the one who is a teacher and a healer and a miracle worker, you, make no mistake about it, you are who I'm talking to, you are the Messiah. But what I like about this is in his his confession, he uses the present tense of the verb to be. You are. See, he's setting the story straight for all of us to hear. There is no speculation about Jesus's ministry. He didn't say, you might be the Messiah. There is no prediction, you will be the Messiah. There is no pleading, you could be the Messiah if you would only work harder. I mean, it is none of that. What he's saying is you are, it's definitive, you are the Messiah so that now all the world knows who Jesus is. And there's a permanence to that because it is a now and forever kind of a statement. He has drawn a line in the sand for all the world to see and hear. It's a bold, irrevocable statement. You are. And he says, you are the. Now, what I love about that is the power of projection. There's a singularity to it, a superiority to what he says, and you are the. He's not saying you are a, like there might be multiples, or you are one of. He says, you are the, the ultimate, the penultimate, that nothing is greater than Jesus. And in doing so now, all of us are on notice that there is going to be no one greater following this Jesus of Nazareth that Jesus reigns supreme in all the universe. And then he gets the closer. You are the, and he gets to the word Messiah. Now that's a very powerful word. That is, that's a power word that you just don't use lightly ever. You are the Messiah, you are the one. So the cat is out of the bag now. Everyone in all the world, the disciples, they all know if they had a shadow of a doubt, anyone that was overhearing this conversation on the way to Caesarea Philippi, They know that there is power, that this is a holy moment, that there is holy ground upon which they're standing on because he has taught everyone that you are the one that will save us, the anointed one of God, the promised one, the one that we have been waiting on. And so in those four words, you are the Messiah, this is what Jesus is really saying to everyone who will listen. Let it be known in all the earth from now until the end of time, Jesus of Nazareth is without a doubt the greatest of all time, for whom there is no equal, the only one who saves the world. I mean, it is a doctoral theological thesis right there. You are the Messiah. But here's the catch. Ever since Peter uttered those words, we've been figuring out what to do with them, how to live into them, how to live about them. When I was in college, I took a class in English composition from Dr. Bliss. And let me tell you what, he was a man, he was the master of the red pen. His class at times was no bliss at all. But he was really good. He he was a really excellent professor because he said, my friends, you need to use an economy of words. Don't just go on and on and on. Get to the point. But in using that economy of words, use the best words. Use the power words. Use the value of language. Say what you mean, but say it with emphasis. Peter did that. You are the Messiah. The thing about simple sentences like that, it says four words. But there is so many, there are so many words under those words. There's so much to unpack. Think about some other simple sentences like, be kind, love your neighbor. Think about that. Be kind, love your neighbor. There's a lot in those sentences, right? I mean, there's much to unpack. The same with truth, you are the Messiah. Think about this. There's so much to unpack. We gave our youth our children, Bibles this morning, and that's a story that helps us understand the depth of those words. A whole book to help us understand what it means in you are the Messiah. It's a story of God's love from all the way to the beginning of time when God said, let there be light, and it was good, all the way up to I will be with you even unto the end of the age. It's a story of God's hopes and dreams for our lives. It's a story of God's yearning for a real, authentic, loving relationship with each and every one of us gathered in worship, with each and every person in the world. So you've got that there, just the Bible unpacks it. But then we begin to think about Peter's confession. I mean, it's his own confession, but it's an admission of what is going on in Jesus' ministry. The question is, is it our confession too? Is it Jesus that we follow in our lives? Do we strive to be like Jesus? Do we think and act on behalf of others much in the way that Jesus did? Do we worry about the things that we should worry about and let the other things just pass away? Or do we put ourselves first? Do we worry about our stuff and not about the world? Is it Jesus that we worship? Do we worship Jesus in our lives or we worship our stuff, our egos and our status Do we live Jesus' values when it comes to our time, our talent, and our treasures? Do we ask ourselves if these words are our words? Not only is it Jesus that we follow, not only is it Jesus that we worship, but is Jesus truly our Savior? Our Savior. Do we recognize the price that He paid on the cross for each and every one of us? but specifically for us as individuals? Or do we think that we can sort of go through life and can save ourselves and do all the things and that we don't necessarily need God only to find ourselves digging the hole deeper? Is Jesus our savior? So as we begin to unpack those words, you are the Messiah, Maybe we need to let Peter's words be our words and let them change our lives the way it changed the world, the way those words changed Peter's life. I mean, you know, Peter, it turned his whole life upside down. First, he followed Jesus, but when he uttered those words, he began this journey of really trying to do just what we talked about, to follow Jesus, to worship him, to claim him as Savior. Those words turned Peter's life upside down. Have they turned ours upside down? Maybe we need to think about our own priorities, our priorities and let those words guide them. Thinking about how we spend our time. Do we spend our time listening to God and what God wants for us? Do we spend our time building that relationship with the one who loves us most? We thinking about how we use our treasure. Do we find ourselves constantly on the treadmill of materialism and consumerism and accumulation Or are we practicing gratitude and generosity? Or think about the gifts and the abilities that we have been given. Do we use those talents for the good of God's kingdom? Do we do them to save the world, to serve the world, and to make the world a better place? Or are we just letting them rust over in a corner or only use them for our benefit? Or what about our attitude? What about our attitude? Are we self-centered and we think about ourselves using words like I, me, and my more than we use words like you, us, and we? Do we think more about ourselves than we do about the idea of community? Now, if you want a good test for this, imagine that there are three books in your life. There's the Holy Bible, there's your checkbook, and there's your journal. Eh, and your calendar. We'll make it four books. The journal, whether you really journal or not, is if you wrote down how you spent your day, the things that you did. Your calendar is what you did with your time. Your checkbook is obviously what you do with your treasure. And then there's the Bible. Which time do we spend in it? Do we open it? Or is it just gathering dust somewhere in the house? See, if these words are our words, if, this, if we unpack them and they're going to change our lives, then we've got to really look at how we're using our treasure, our time, our talent. And those four books can be convicting. Those four words can change how we use those four books. See, we should let those four words, you are the Messiah, guide our living to eliminate hurry and practice patience and appreciation, to eliminate worry and practice peace and joy and hope, to eliminate hate and practice love and kindness. We should let those four words guide our worship, that it's Christ alone that we worship and no one else, nothing else, that this time is sacred. And that it matters. It is time well spent because we spend time with the one who loves us most. And so then we're stuck with those four words. That Peter uttered when no one else would speak, you are the Messiah. And so here's what I hope. I hope those four words truly could be uttered by us that those become our words as well. And because I think that we need to be in the practice and we need to push ourselves and challenge ourselves to that, I want to invite you to pray with me. And we're going to pray six words. I'm going to say one and then you'll repeat it. But at the end of it, you'll see where we end up. So would you pray with me? Jesus, you are my Messiah. Amen. Jesus, you are my Messiah. May we pray those words every day. May they change your life.